Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, here we go. Another edition of the Kingdom of Pod. Jeff Caves here in Flower Mound, Texas on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me. We'll get to the exclusive interview with former Boise State head football coach Dan Hawkins, somebody I visited to with quite a bit. And I'll get you an update here shortly as of this recording, which is the 6th of January at approximately 12.30 Central Time, because I think it's important to type, start timestamping that. But we'll get to Hawk and his thoughts on this family tree at Boise State and whether or not the next coaching hire should come from that. His insight into the budget and then also his uh, comments <clears throat> on both Jeff Choate and Andy Avalos, too, that he's either competed uh, against or uh, coached with or recruited and had as a player, which would constitute who Andy Avalos was. Uh, for Coach Hawkins. But let, let's get to the latest on the coaching search. Uh, by most measures, I think the reporting that all of us are doing, and, and my inclination is that this hire will be done by the end of the week. And whether that means Friday or Sunday, I don't think we know. I think that there is certainly some truth to the fact that once they extend the offer, they have no way of knowing if the opposing side is going to accept it immediately. Uh, or is going to say, let us look it over and counter and come back that direction. I think it's fair to note uh, at this particular time we have a new entry into the whole process, and that is the new athletic director at Boise State in Jeremiah Dickey. Uh, Most of our projections were uh, who Boise State would hire, uh, and then we would sort of re-look at it once there was an AD hired. Well, now that AD's been hired. And I, I think he has done his research and understands that a, a tree hire is probably the uh, better way to go, but to make sure they're going to bring in outsiders, if indeed it was Graham Harrell from USC or Brian Johnson from Florida, uh, or perhaps even taking a look closer at Coach Kesaw, Boise State's current offensive coordinator on staff. I don't know that he interviewed or not, so I don't want to get into that Uh as well as polishing off any talks. Uh, we do know Brad LaRondo's moved on, the chief of staff for Harson. We do know Jeff Pittman has taken the strength job, which is a huge loss for Boise State. Uh, but he's left before uh, Coach Saha came in. Uh, so he has gone to take the strength position at Auburn. Uh, there's a mixed bag of reports on whether you want to believe it or not, as of this airing that Spencer Danielson takes a job uh, maybe similar to what he did here in Boise and Coach Schmetting goes with him and they split the coordinator role. Uh, Schmetting's name at least at footballscoop.com uh, who's pretty aggressive getting things out early and, and right often I think as, as much as they're wrong. Uh, that could be a possibility that Coach Schmetting has that chance. Again, Coach Schmetting has special teams in his background so whether that's what he wants to do or not I could not speak to but uh, that could be another option uh, for him. Coach Bedell uh, as well, uh, somebody that should be uh, headed to Auburn. And how all these announcements uh, get made all at one time seems to be a little bit more likely. But uh, one by one, some of the connections to uh, this staff are moving to Auburn, which isn't unusual. You know, there was only a few holdovers when Coach Pete went to Washington and Coach Harson came in. Now, 
What makes it different is that when Harson came in from Arkansas State back in 2000, late 13, uh, into the 14 season, he did bring back uh, guys like um, Mike Sanford. You know, so Mike Sanford comes back as the Boise State offensive coordinator, Marcel Yates, on the defensive side of the ball. And a couple decide to stay. Uh, the Avaloses uh, staying. Scott Huff stayed at the time and ultimately did depart to uh, Washington. So if Coach Choate were to get this job, for example, then you've got some guys on his staff that could be coming back that are familiar names like defensive line coach Byron Hout or uh, could Nate Potter, who uh, when you look at the Montana staff uh, does not have the offensive line specifically. So I can't say that Coach Potter would be coming along uh, as the offensive line coach because I'm fairly certain that they've got a different uh, person handling that at, yes they do at Montana State so uh, that could be different we know Matt Miller is already on staff and if Coach Choate were to come in you would think uh, his position would be safe so uh, so many things really still up in the air and uh, as of now I don't think there's an early leader in the clubhouse uh, but if I were to handicap it uh, because of what some of us have heard that Coach Pete took everything into consideration, whatever feedback he was given, and may have said, hey, given what you guys are telling me, given your money, your budget, your situation, uh, you need somebody with a staff perhaps intact that could be elevated uh, pieces and parts-wise and, and would fit in financially at where Boise State's at, then I tend to believe that it could be that Coach Choate uh, would be that early leader. And if he had a great interview and everything else made sense, budget-wise, uh, that he could be the person. And then Andy, you'd have to put together a staff within the confines, and he'd have to know the budget at Boise State for hiring assistance. Uh, there was a little noise about that in two different ways. I think it started uh, with the hiring of Blake Anderson from Arkansas State at Utah State, where his staff budget uh, was at $2.5 million to hire his coaches. Boise State, uh, $2.325 million. So here's somebody coming in with a bet- better assistance pool, and as a reminder, you know, Coach Harson uh, said it from the loudest uh, or the highest mountaintop he could find after he won the 2019 Mountain West Championship, that the budget hasn't changed since Coach Pete left in 13, and he'd like to see that changed and addressed. And we understand his frustrations with it that he communicated. So uh, those two factors, I guess, come into play here. Uh, and then the third piece of information as regards to budget over fr- uh, budget frustrations could be uh, this storyline that unfolded with Troy Aikman of Fox on the Dallas Cowboys New York Giants television play-by-play broadcast this last weekend saying that Kellen Moore accepted the job and then uh, turned it down once he saw uh, that he didn't feel that there was commitment was being made to football in the way that he'd like to see it. Uh, who knows what that means? Could be personnel, uh, could be he didn't know the AD. I have no clue about that. But it could also be that you know David Dunn, his agent, uh, was counseling Kellen Moore on, look, you've, you've got to understand how much money you have to spend on an assistance pool because you're competing to keep guys that Coach Harson's taken away. And you really don't have you know just a Rolodex to open up and start grinding on that kind of stuff 
as the new head football coach at Boise State. That's quite a bit of work uh, to get that. Not that there be any shortage of candidates, but it's just a complete switch of gears for Kellen and then to start adding that money up and going, well, how much can I pay this, that, or the other person? And the experience it takes to put all that together uh, can really slow a program down and since Kellen's coming at this point from the outside in, it may be a little bit of a shock to Kellen Moore, who is coordinating an offense in the NFL, probably making more than the Boise State head football coach has ever made. I'm sure his raise that he got from Jerry Jones put him closer to the $4 million tops, uh, what some coordinators make. I bet he's in the $2 million minimum area now. So I think those are all factors that have played into this. So we'll see if... Uh, that question comes back out. Uh, Boise State has not responded to what Troy Aikman said, who, as they put it, doubled down, releasing another statement with the same information yesterday. And uh, Boise State's in the midst of negotiating for a coach, so uh, they're not going to en- engage in information about their commitment level to the football program. But, you know, in, in intercollegiate athletic circles, those who have lifted the hood on Boise State uh, and have gotten lulled to sleep by an unbelievable football program with unreal results the last 20 years, uh, with television pictures that include the mountains, the blue turf, the Stickle Sky Center, and the football facility, well, they think, man, man, that place looks like they got all kinds of resources. And they don't go any further than that because the results in the field really uh, lead you to, to that uh, experience. And there's a lot of reasons and Coach Hawk's going to unfold those for us here in a second on how that all happened. Um, But that is is a new reality is that more and more people who are looking under the hood at Boise State Athletics are figuring out, Jeremiah Dickey included, that there's got to be some new revenue boosts that kick off annual income. And most often, to me, uh, that leads me down the changing conference path because it's hard to create those streams of income uh, that are what I call passive. And it's kind of like owning a rental property that's in decent shape. It just kicks you out a check every month because you've already paid off the mortgage. Well, you would like to be getting television revenue checks from the conference office or NCAA tournament basketball credit checks uh, or New Year's Day 6 bowl receipts or whoo. Imagine the college football playoff uh, kickback that could come your way as a member of a conference that makes the college football playoff. So there's all of those factors in there, plus the check that gets cut to the leading group of five conference in each school. If you're the best of the group of five, you get a little bit more money as that conference does versus conferences two, three, and four. So it's real complicated. There's a lot of that in there. I think the financial piece is at the top of my list in how I looked at Boise State as a job prospect for Kellen Moore and Andy Avalos. And it's so far under the hood that I think it's hard to – pull it out and examine it. We all have a part of it, um, all of us, and what we commit to the university in terms of donations or memberships for tickets or just buying tickets. depends upon what level that we're able to contribute at. So I think all that stuff uh, really does add up. Hey, when it comes to making the NFL playoffs just that much more exciting, you know where to go, and that's betonline.ag. Make sure you head over to betonline.ag. Take advantage of the great sign-up bonuses that they have there. They've got college basketball betting. You can bet on the NBA, the NFL playoffs, of course, the Super Bowl. 
there's a lot to get done there. Uh, I've always thought it was just a little bit more exciting to have a bet maybe on the national championship football game. Go out and bet somebody that uh, loves Alabama or loves Ohio State and see what you can make out of it. But you can get it all done at, head, at betonline.ag. Take advantage of those sign-up bonuses. Remember, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. Dan Hawkins, of course, was the former Boise State head football coach who succeeded Dirk Cutter when Dirk took off for Arizona State. Dan Hawkins took over, ultimately left after the uh, 05 season and went to the University of Colorado. He's now the head football coach at UC Davis and had a long talk with, with Hawk about many different things, including budgetary issues at Boise State, some history lessons on what he went through, plus his comments will get at the conclusion of this conversation, which is about 20 minutes, about whether you know what he knows about uh, Jeff Choate, a competitor of his in the Big Sky Conference, the Montana State's head football coach, and Andy Avalos, what kind of people are they? But uh, I started with a conversation with Hawk about this family tree. Should Boise State stay in the family by making a hire like Jeff Choate or Andy Avalos or go off of it with a Graham Harrell for USC or Brian Johnson from Florida? Let me talk about this whole concept first of the the family tree, you know, and, you know, Boise State's had had it both ways. You have a personal experience, but we'll get to those two situations in terms of Boise State's hiring since Lyle and then your situation in your background. But in general, you know, you've known the coaching profession for 40 years or whatever. What are your thoughts on this general idea of coaching tree hires versus best man for the job? Well, culture eats strategy for lunch every day. And um, when you have a successful tree, um, it has a lot to do with culture and it has a lot to do with, I mean, every phase of your program, it's interesting, Jeff, if you really look at the Boise State tree, or at least the, let's say the modern tree of Dirk Hawk, Pete, Mars, really goes back to Vic Rowan. You know who Vic Rowan is? Vic Rowan. No, and I need you to get closer to your mic, Hawk, because it's, it's breaking up a little bit. Okay. So Vic Rowan is a Hall of Fame coach from San Francisco State. Okay. Vic Rowan is where Jim Soaker played, who is the Hall of Fame coach from Davis. Vic Rowan is where Dirk Cutter coached and Andy Reid coached. Okay. So out of this tree comes Jim Soaker, comes to UC Davis, wins a bunch of championships, um, Hall of Fame coach. From UC Davis comes Dan Hawkins, Chris Peterson. Also, Mike Bellotti, Nick Aliotti, Neil Zambukas, Bob Foster. Wow. And that tree goes to Oregon. Well, guess who goes to Oregon? Hmm. Aliotti, Bellotti, Zambukas, Foster, Justin Wilcox, Bob Gregory, Chris Peterson, and Dirk Cutter. (laughs) So then Mariah. Guess who ends up at Boise State? So the this cultural thing has been important. And then, then you have pretty stable leadership 
uh, obviously Bob Custer being there the entire time. And you have Gene Blameyer who begets Kurt Apsey, who Kurt was there with Gene. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's not forget the element of Jeff Pittman, who foundation for blue collar, you know, we, we kind of really embellished that when we were there. My dad was a logger. Jeff Pittman's comes from a dairy. Um, you know, we're grinders. We're people of the dirt. We're, we're workers. Um, and so Jeff Pittman builds on the back of Big House, who builds Boise State football through running upper decks. And so... And then it's it's very interesting that you look. So you got Brad Bedell. Where did Brad Bedell come? University of Colorado, Dan Hawkins, Kent Riddle, Dan Hawkins, Chris Peterson, Ryan Harson, uh, Lee Marks, uh, Gabe Franklin, who goes back to Dirk Cutter and Dan Hawkins, Jaleel Brown, Colorado, Eric Keesaw, Colorado. Um, you know, it, it, so this whole cycle, and then, like I said, Justin Wilcox, who he was a GA for me at, at Boise, then he goes to Cal, then he comes back. Uh, Andy Avalos, Dirk Cutter, Dan Hawkins, as a coach at Boise and at Colorado. Right. Okay, so he's kind of back in the mix. But this really, this continuity, Jeff, of – the science of football, and there is a science to it, how you put it together, how you game plan, the details of that, how you schedule your, your week, how do you handle situational football, those things matter and they're important. But then also how you, how you treat kids, um, how you treat your staff, uh, how you treat the community, how you put it in perspective. And even though all of us, Dirk, me, Pete, and Horace are, are different kinds of personalities, when you peel the banana and get down in the middle of it, it's really all the same. So then you have all these, all these high school coaches and these JC coaches, everybody that's known everybody for years mm-hmm. and what we are and who we're about. They, they, go, they don't doubt for a second, like how their kids are going to get treated, how they're going to get coached. What's the nature of the program. And so there's a confidence there. There becomes a pipeline there. Um, I can't tell you how many guys when I was at Boise would call me up and just say, Hey, we got a guy for you. Like they know, they know what kind of guy we're after, what kind of player we're after, what kind of person we're after. Um, and it's big. So when you have this kind of su- success, you know, it's, it goes back and think about it. Think about going all the way back to Vic Rowan and the Golden Gators of San Francisco State through Oregon to, you know, to Boise. And all of this, like I said, at our core, even though like our personalities to some degree are a little bit different, who we are as football people, very much the same, very much. So, Hawk, um, taking a look then at, at, at some of this, um, you know, your own personal experience, unless I'm mistaken, I, I didn't know of any connection at Willamette for you. Of course, there was a connection at Boise. Of course, there was a connection at Davis. And I don't recall if there was any connection at Colorado for you. Uh, so you've had it. Your most success, I would argue, is at Davis and at Boise, although 
you had some good days and years at Colorado, but up well, to- hey, well, Lamette Jeff. Now let's not forget, and I'm not trying to. We went to the national championship. I was getting there. There was, some- and we won. We won three championships, and there was a school named PLU that used to win a lot. That we beat them more times than they beat us. And there's a school called Linfield, right? That we beat them more times. So. You know, I, like I always said, it not my first rodeo. I went to Christian Brothers High School. We went, we went to the section championship. So, uh, no, it's I've been in a lot of different rodeos. I've been in a lot of different arenas. So, as you look at all of those, is there is there a path that you had that you thought was more successful, not only for you but for the program? Because you know what you leave behind to me is 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 as important as what you create. And you left behind the a team that won the most famous game maybe in the history of college football, right? And the coaches you helped. But, you know, so this family tree, I think, keeps growing because guys take care of it along the way. Well, it's also, too, Jeff, and we have the same thing going on at Davis right now. We have a tremendous amount of ownership. We have a tremendous amount of self-efficacy. We have a tremendous amount of mastery orientation, um, I look at the amount of coaches that have been with me. In fact, I was talking to some of our younger guys about this. I always say the good news about me is I give you a lot of rope. The bad news is I give you a lot of rope. Um, I think there's a reason why. I mean, look at look at Jeff Grimes who was at BYU. He kind of came through both the dirt cutter and the Dan Hawkins tree. But you develop leaders and you develop thinkers and you develop mastery oriented people. Now that comes down to quarterbacks making protection calls and audibles to assistant coaches, making decisions about recruiting, about staying out of the coordinator's hair at times of, uh, I'll tell you, I was a coordinator once Jeff and I hated it when the head coach came down and got in my ear. I absolutely hated it. Mm-hmm. And I always swore when I was a head coach, I'm not going to do that. I mean, if you got a good guy, like help him mentor him, feed him, but get out of his way. Um, so, you develop this system where there becomes ownership in the program with the players. Mostly it all starts with them because it's in the locker room, the weight room and downtown and across campus and really at practice, how we practice, how we train, what our expectation is. Um, I go back. I remember when we were getting, I forget which bowl game we were getting ready to at Boise, but if you remember, Virginia came and they were playing uh, Fresno, I think in the, Oh yeah, in the in the uh, well, I in don't the H bowl. Well, then the H- so <laughs> I remember this clearly. We're standing on the sidelines with some of our players, and we're watching Virginia practice. I'm not trying to. So they would complete a ball, and their whole team would be going like, "Yeah, yeah," and our guys were going, "What? What, what are they? What are they cheering for?" And because they they made the catch, and like our guys are going. We're supposed to do that. Like we had this perfect practice Thursday. Like we just, every play had to be perfect or we wanted it to be perfect, pretty close to being perfect. Like you expect to catch, you expect to complete the pass. Sure. But I thought it was again, one of those interesting cultural moments where here they are polishing up for their bowl game and they're ecstatic that they complete in these passes. And our guys are going, well, that's what you're supposed to do. So, you know, and again, the modern boys, you tree started with dirt and you know if you think about that the reason i got on that train was because i wasn't very far from eugene when i was in salem and i'd drive down to eugene quite often and meet with dirt and pete you know and we would talk ball 
And so that's kind of how that, that got going. Uh, and a lot of that was Pete hmm. All right. talking to Dirk of saying, Hey, you need a, you need a guy's got head coaching experience. Let me pivot here for a second. And I want to go to a couple, two other things. I want to talk about, of course, your former player and, and guy who coached for you, Andy, uh, you're competing against Cho. I'll get to that in a second. But what about budgets, Hawk? A lot of discussion about, you know, Utah State's just made a big move in the in the Mountain West Conference with 2.5 million for assistance. Boise's been at 3.25 million, uh, 2.325 million. Uh, the budget, in in some respects, hasn't changed since Pete left in 2013. And you know, you know, Brian Harson was pretty loud about that after he won the Mountain West Championship in 2019. That this has to change. We we need to get better, not just tread water. So when you took over as the head coach uh, from Dirk, you gave back some of your head coach's money to put it in the salary pool. So how concerned are coaches or should they be, even ADs for that matter, on operating budgets and how difficult is it to see those things rise or fall? It's, it's big, Jeff. I always say people over things like you. First of all, every great program, people talk about Boise State. Well, the number one reason we're good is because of players. You have to get players. And there's things that go into that recruiting budgets and facilities and, and, and they're, they're the, the, the city and the support and, and all those things, you know, fuel that. You have to get coaches and you have to be able to pay those coaches. Um, <laughs> it, it's interesting. One of the things, and you, you remember this, okay? You probably remember it. The year, my first year there when, uh, you know, you and everybody else want to run me out after we went 0-2 to South Carolina and Washington State. Um, when we beat Fresno, uh, on ESPN on Thursday night, uh, and they were ranked number eight, the next BAA meeting, you know, when they brought the band and then everybody was fired up and I was fired up too, but I said, okay, I'm striking right here. And I don't know that Gene was all that fired up about it, to be honest with you. Mm. But I said, okay, did you guys like that? Yeah. You want more of that? Yeah. I said, well, Hey, guess what? In the, in the big way or not, excuse me, in the whack at that time. I go in the whack. Our strength coach is eight out of 10. You know, our weight room is 10 out of 10. Our, you know, and everybody's kind of staring at me like, oh my gosh. Well, I'm going, guys, you, you can't have a number one team if everything is down ranked number eight, nine, or 10, or wherever it is. You, you can't do that. Mm. That's, not a, that's not an adequate formula. So, one of the things that I did was once I got it going and I had enough juice to, to, um, to get it in there was in the state board, you could not give somebody a raise over 20% unless it went to the state board. So Gene worked out a deal for our assistants that if we won eight games that our assistants would get a 19% raise. So you know, we were able to help our people. The other thing is I sat down with, with Gene too. And I said, look, you got, you, you remember the back, back in the day, Dale Holstein, we had one guy, sometimes his daughter would come out and help. Okay. And he had maybe one or two other guys. His sons. (laughs) So I said, we got it. We got to build that. I mean, we went on the road and Gary Craner was like our, he would be handing out per diem money and doing the hotel keys. And he's the trainer. Right. So I said, no, we, we've got to build our video department our our athletic training, our equipment people, as well as our staff and our infrastructure. And that's really, 
you know, we have to do that to get ourselves where we're going. So we started this progression and part of it was, I say legally, but it was, it was in my contract and that's what I kind of lobbied for. And, you know, there was a time there when Pete was, was at Boise, I think, <laughs> you know, Bob Gregory left a coordinator job at Cal and came to Boise and he was making over $300,000 as a linebacker coach. Yeah, I do remember that. So, but the, the crux of it, Jeff, you got to have people and you got to have good people and you got to be able to attract people and keep good people. Now, Hey, you're not going to keep somebody from going to the SEC because they have money all over the place. But you certainly, in that next te- tier down, you don't want somebody leaving your program because they're going to get paid a tremendous amount more than they would at your place. And you want to be able to attract people and keep good people. So what, um, let me ask you this then, Hawk, because I, I want to add to the solutions. Going back to what Blameyer did was when Pete was here and they had it really going – and you'd already left to Colorado, you know, our salaries that we were paying assistance at Boise were competitive with the mid-tier of the Pac-12. Now, this was before all that CFP money hit and changed where the P5 was getting their dough and how much. But I'm wondering, we weren't selling that many more season tickets, maybe. Uh, I don't think the tickets cost as much as they did on the membership side or the ticket side. So how'd Gene do that? Where'd he well, money from? I know this, as you all know, and everybody has their opinions about Dan Hawkins and Boise and that, that that's great. But I know if you remember this, I was going around going, Hey, we can be a top 15 program. We can be a top 15 program. I was, I was banging the table on that, but I went around and spoke to a lot of groups. I remember I spent a whole day, if not two days talking to all the Albertsons folks out at the fairgrounds and raising money that way and getting optimist involved and getting chamber of commerce involved and, and, you know, schools and, so I spent a lot of emotional capital going, hey, look, we need to be your team and you need to help us and you need to support us. And then, uh, you know, we got down towards the end there. And when uh, Larry Williams and the guys got together and built the indoor and put that together. Um, so it was it was a lot of fingerlings going along. And you, you remember the old Gene had the whole goal line club where we had all the all the people donated and their names are on the side of the stadium for every yard mark. But um, Hey, in some cases it was a hundred dollars. And then when we built the indoor facility, I mean, it was more in the five and $10 million range. And uh, you know, I went, uh, you know, God rest his soul. I remember going to meeting with J.R. Simplot over in the arid club and going upstairs with those guys. And uh, <laughs> really, I mean, cause I believed in what we were doing. I believe strongly in the culture of Boise state football and what it was about and what it meant. And I remember going across campus and having them being so fired up because they were attracting faculty from across the country that never heard of Boise. You know, Chamber of Commerce going, we're bringing corporations in here that had never heard of Boise before, but now they all know about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember going into a coffee shop and this couple had just just moved. And I said, "How? why did you move here? And they go, oh, just, they didn't know who I was. It just seems like a great place. I go, why does it seem like a great place? Oh, you know, it's just, it's so magical. I mean, Boise State football, and it just seems magical. <laughs> like these people, it, it's like Oz. Like they 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 moved from Kansas to Boise because for some reason, you know, it, it's it's like uh, close encounters of the third kind. When, you know, he, he can't figure it out. He just got to go to Devil's Tower. He can't figure it out. He's got to go there. I want to so, pivot. I know you 
you got a lot happening there at, at Davis. A game coming up against Coach Choate is your first yeah. opener there at UC Davis with the Big Sky taking uh, hopefully the field in February. But your your thoughts on on a guy you've competed with? I'm sh- I know you know through the coaching uh, angles, and then a guy that you coached and co- you at Colorado and Andy. So tell me about Choate and and Andy. Just what you know about them, what kind of guys they are. Uh, I first met Jeff, I believe he's at Sandpoint High School, I think, when I first met him. I was recruiting and uh, went up there. And my, my goal was to get to every high school in Idaho on a two-year cycle. And uh, just to make sure that the head coach was in their building and from Boise State, and they, they knew that. So that was the first place I, I met him. And then uh, he came on with uh, Pete. And then I got to know him a little bit there. And uh, he's obviously gone to Montana State. And he does a great job. Um plays about five quarterbacks in a game. He plays a linebacker at quarterback. He plays a linebacker, a receiver, two or three quarterbacks, um, but he does a good job. Of course, he's good on special teams. So you got to be ready there. They're going to run it on you. They're very structurally sound and they're, they're kind of blue collar up there in, uh, in Bozeman. And uh, he's done a nice job kind of getting those guys going. Now, again, that's a program that's very well funded. They're building a new facility. Ironically, we're building a new facility, um, a $60 million building here. So wow. um, Jeff, Jeff's done a good job. And quite frankly, he's he's kind of owned uh, the, the other school up there in Missoula a little bit. And that's obviously big in that state. I mean, those two schools are probably the preeminent money uh, programs in our conference. Uh, Andy, again, let's go back to Dirk. You know, Dirk and Brent Guy, and I was the recruiting coordinator at the time. We got Andy and kind of an undersized dude from Corona. Right. But came up and just a playmaking Jesse. Uh, really super smart, really love football, tough guy, uh, and team captain. And uh, I don't know, probably at least a three-year starter there for us. Not the biggest, not the fastest, not the strongest, but nobody's going to out-tough him, out-think him, out-want him out playmaking. Um, so he was that kind of guy to be around. And then when he came uh, to us in Colorado, same thing, super smart guy. Players love him. He's got a, uh, he's just got an intuitive sense with the players. Uh, he kind of gets it. Um, and so he was, he was really fantastic, but a smart guy, detailed guy, I remember one time I was always on my GAs about getting their masters. I mean, you know me, I'm like, I want you getting that thing. Mm-hmm. You're not just here to do ball. You got to get your master's degree. Ironically, I'll tell you the only guy that told me I'm not doing that is Justin Wilcox. But, <laughs> but anyhow, Andy, uh, I remember one time, you know, looking at his grades and he was about a three, eight student or something. And Colorado's a good school now. And I'm like, gee whiz, Avalos, you're kind of getting after it here in school. And he goes, oh, yeah, you know. And you wouldn't even really know it. He just subtly took care of business. So his rise in the coaching profession has not surprised me at all. He's a good recruiter. He's a good person. He's a good coach. He gets it. He knows what he wants. Um, He was raised in Boise and loves Boise and uh, like I said, he's been around me. He's been around Pete. He's been around Dirk. Uh, all those guys. And ironically, look where he's at now, Oregon. Right now, you know, Bilotti is not there, and Aliotti's not there. And how about that, Aliotti? This is not Joe Aliotti, the quarterback. This is Nick Aliotti, his brother. So 
it's kind of a great story really. And it's, it's funny how it's all interwoven, but you know, there's Andy at Oregon, but uh, both good guys, both really good coaches, different, different in their, their approach for sure. But both, both very good people. Very good coaches. Always a pleasure, man. Get you back to the grind there for Davis. The Aggies getting ready to get after it. You're, you're like T minus, I don't know, Hawk, uh, six weeks, right. Or less than that. Right. It's crazy, Jeff. We've been that way. We thought we were going to go in August, so we got going in there, and then we came back and had fall ball, and uh, it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, I think it's a time for leadership, a time to be flexible. We've got uh, you know, just so many things from the pandemic, uh, dealing with the social injustice issues. Um, I really think college athletics and college football in general is going to take a huge shift here when this all settles. Um, so it's been interesting and it's been dynamic and it's been, uh, I'm kind of an, uh, uh, I'm in, intellectually curious. I'm not saying I'm intellectual, but I'm curious. Uh, so we've just tried to stay flexible and keep our guys going and keep them purposeful and the same with the staff. So yeah, we're supposed to start walkthroughs the 15th and practice the 29th and uh, open up against the Bobcats uh, on uh, February 27th. So I was checking the weather report the other day, so I'm sure uh, Childers got snowshoes on and uh, <laughs> thick, thick parkas because it's uh, it is the dead of winter in Bozeman right now. Good stuff. Thanks, Hawk. All right, guys. Appreciate. It. All right, that's going to do it for the Kingdom of Pod on the Believe Podcast Network. Thanks to Dan Hawkins, my guest. Please rate, review, subscribe to the Kingdom of Pod. If you'd like to get this sent to you as a email, like some of you do prefer pretty easy to do go to the kingdom of sites.com and i'll get you off that email as i continue following this boise state head football coaching story and have something to you as soon as we get information thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.